0: Hey listeners, you're tuning in to a podcast about Kids in the Hall that easily veers off into mature subject matter and includes a whole heck of a lot of swearing. Enjoy the show, eh? So we're taking a short break from our review schedule to bring you a two-part interview with Paul Myers, author of the new Kids in the Hall biography, One Dumb Guy. Go buy it. Read along. And revel in how long we managed to keep this poor guy on the phone. Alright, so I'm going to be taking over from here, uh, Kalina. here. Um, you mentioned this earlier, and I think I was surprised to read that Scott has such an, at least a start of, an acrimonious relationship with the queer press. Um, for anyone who's reading along, this is on page 183 according to my notes. Um, and I, I, I know you said that there were concerns about him and the troop sort of being pigeonholed as a gay troop, or one focused too strongly on sort of gender politics. So. I'm just wondering how you would sum up, though, his lasting legacy today. Um, do you think there's a wider appreciation for Buddy and Scott's other openly gay characters?
1: Well, I can only speak uh, as some. I'm not someone inside the uh, the queer community. You know, if there's a consensus, even. But I would say that, and that may be the issue too. There is there's no there's no one yeah. LGBTQ group that's gonna like all say. But, if there is any kind of uniformity, I would say that there's a lot more acceptance of what kind of character he is. I think, in the sense that he's a specific kind of older gay man raconteur who can sum up the world, But that we've seen so many more of them since. I mean, mm-hmm. in many ways, too. he's also a male like Chelsea mm-hmm. handler, you know, like he <laughs> like it's the same it's the same sense of humor. It's the uh, Kathy Griffin. It's the same. You know, and, and, and so I think the outrageousness is more delightful now than maybe other people thought it was then. And I think that he's also still kind of politically uh, incorrect in the sense that he, he is constantly self-defining what is acceptable for himself mm-hmm. and letting everyone else catch up or not. Mm-hmm. And that's where he got into trouble with his own mm-hmm. community in the sense that there was a lot of people who... This happens in all kinds of, um, what's the word for it? I'm choosing my words a little more carefully. But like like in feminism, sometimes I've heard like you know, there's arguments uh, between third wave feminists and other yeah. eras because they don't, you know, the, you know, how people see sex workers or how they see beauty pageants is depending on how they see empowerment within those communities. Therefore, mm-hmm. they might not see them mm-hmm. as oppression So in the sense that Buddy Cole was such a he's definitely like, oh, my God, you know, he's outrageous. And he's that cliche might be offensive to people who've been trying really hard to show, you know, that, you know, we're bankers, lawyers, you know, we're not Mm. all screaming queens. Right. So (laughs) I think that that I think that's where the problem came in for them. But I think now people have a sense that, okay, the, the, the Screaming Queen is part of the community.
0: We're going we're gonna to go real big picture now. What is your assessment of the state of Canadian comedy today? I mean, will Canada and, you know, particularly public programming on CBC, see anything as fresh and, you know, dare I say, sort of edgy again?
1: Well, I don't, I mean, it depends how you define edgy. Uh, and that's, again, the, the, the tricky thing with all of this. I, I was really impressed like I live in the States, so I don't get everything that's happening in Canada, but I I've been really impressed with the fact that uh, the Baroness von sketch mm. is so they're so to me, they, they give me the, the warm tingle of, of recognition that this is what the kids in the hall would look like in 2018.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: and, and what I love too, is that it is where they didn't have uh, any female or, you know, non-male members in their troop, uh, the kids in the hall. Now that's an all, you know, an all woman troupe, And, and so, so I think that's kind of neat too, but I mean, that's just a, an extra bonus thing. They just happen to be really funny people who write really good sketches. And, uh, so I was happy that that was on CBC as far as I could t- last checked. I mean, it's coming out here too, apparently. Um, I think IFC picked it up here. So, uh, that's exciting. Um, I know that, uh, from people I talk to, there's a lot of street-level comedy. in I know in the Toronto scene, they have the comedy bar there, and everyone's working there all the time. And uh, uh, what I have heard is that there's not enough venues. Bruce, Bruce is currently, uh, I'm not sure what his actual job is, but he's doing some kind of teaching thing at Humber College there for their comedy program, Bruce McCullough. He said that he's constantly seeing tons of great troops. I and mean, there's a troop he was developing that I think are trying to get a TV show. They may get that. He's very excited about them. He's sort of developing a troop uh what do they call it? tall boys to men he he does have a tv show out
3: about this woman who can make people explode um so that may be oh yeah yeah and there's
1: that and that's that's an interesting thing because that's a and that's called uh, this blows and that stars <laughs> uh, uh that's by cole and alita northy who are the uh kids of craig northy who did the music for brain candy from the he's from the <laughs> oh no way so that's kind of neat that bruce is producing that and his wife tracy's in it and uh, it's a it's a web only series on CBC dot com I guess or whatever dot uh, ca, .ca. I, I don't all I know is I can't see it here because it's uh, <laughs> it's geo blocked for some reason they should they should make it not geo blocked it would probably go viral mm-hmm. uh, the, actually I did see one when I was in a hotel room in uh, in Toronto I I remembered to look it up and I watched four episodes and it was hilarious
3: nice
1: uh, but like to me the fact that there is that kind of um, cult level uh, web series that that's helpful. Um, there's, there seems to be a lot of, uh, a, a lot more, like I, I've never seen Kim's convenience. So I don't know if it's, if it's a, if it's a funny show or a delightful show, I don't know what the difference, I don't know what it is, <laughs> but I, I know what it, I know what it is, but I just don't know how it looks. I don't, I've never mm. seen it. So, mm. but it's supposed it's getting good reviews and Chit's Creek is, is, um, you know, that's a Canadian show. You know, I mean, it's funny and it's getting huge notices like all over the place, like in markets that you would not expect, like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like, even though I've, I've resisted it for so long, I had resisted it because of the name. It felt like a, <laughs> it, it felt like a cheap laugh. Um, yeah. But then, you know, you forget after a while, sort of like, sort of like you, like, you know, how the the name, the Beatles is really dumb until, <laughs> yeah. until you start to know the music. The, the music of the Beatles is actually so much better than their name, you know, like, yeah, so Actually, Kids in the Hall is another name that's kind of like, they outlived that name years ago. So, you know, like you write a book about the kids. I mean, actually, I was worried, by the way, just a footnote, I was worried that when my book came out that uh, retailers would uh, put it in the children's section (laughs) because it's like a book about
2: kids, (laughs) you know, and
1: there's definitely a fear of that. And I keep checking to make sure, you know, but I hope I answered some of your question. Like I said, I wish I knew more about the day-to-day there, but the stuff that seems to be filtering up to me is very encouraging.
0: Well, so, I mean, you, you mentioned a few sketch comedy and um, troops there, but I mean, at least in the way it's portrayed in your book, because we were just but babes at the time. I mean, it doesn't necessarily feel today that it's at the forefront of comedic pursuits compared to the momentum you explained it sort of gained in the 80s and 90s. Do you think we're sort of due for a revival? Like, is do you, would you say sketch comedy is played out and over? Can we all go home now? No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i think sketch comedy well we should never all go home unless we're going home to watch uh, something funny on our computer <laughs> yeah, exactly but yes. uh on our phone or whatever but um but i would say this that um from what i talk to i talk to other people who are closer to comedy like day-to-day than i am in canada and i would say that in the clubs apparently there are a lot of sketch troops and there's also a lot of stand-up but um and I think that they need more venues. They need they need another. They need like in the states they have like a few UCB theaters. Like LA has two different upright Citizens Brigade theaters. They had the Groundlings, and they're still Second City to you know mm-hmm. in terms of developing stuff. But uh, Second City, you know, isn't. Second City hasn't been really the new place for a long time. They need a they need a bunch of places like the comedy bar in Toronto, and I don't know the other venues. I'm sure there are the ones in Calgary. Well, like where the, the where the um, Mark and Bruce started the Loose Moose Theater in Calgary was like a hotbed of improv comedy. Now I agree with you that comedy itself, sketch comedy, much like rock and roll, by the way, like. Uh, guitar bands for instance that's not the cutting edge of anything anymore but there are still always every year there's more bands you know and i think that what they need is a venue and they need uh like key and peel was a very popular show a couple years ago or a few years ago now Mm -hmm. and you know amy schumer's show had uh, sketches uh, nick kroll had sketches i think sketch comedy has an audience when they allowed sketch comedy to be out there so I, I think, I think we still, I, at Saturday Night Live, you know, love or hate Saturday Night Live. And, you know, it's, it's a crapshoot every minute on that show. Like <laughs> one sketch is completely, one sketch will be brilliant. And then there'll be two that are not. And there'll yeah. be, but I will say this, they're on every week for 90 minutes doing sketch after sketch after sketch. So there's got to be some reciprocal effect that sketch comedy is still considered one of the many avenues of expression for comedy. Mm. Right. Mm. So I don't know if it's dead. I think. I think it's it's as alive as whatever group of people get together to make. I also think that maybe white male sketch comedy might be something that we're done with. Uh, definitely we need, uh, I think we need like a lot more diversity and I think we're going to get it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think there's there's a few troops that I'm hearing about, like, like Tall Boys to Men. I think they're from Toronto. Yeah, That's the one yeah. that Bruce was. And I think that the, I think that there's, it's now, uh, you know, much more common to have voices of, you know, your Kamal Nanjiani's and people like uh, who weren't traditionally just the Indian character in another sketch, you know, now, you know, now you've got like, we've got, we've got those voices coming in and it's, it's in, in Baroness on sketch. And I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's really good. I think it it, actually, that's where comedy is a social change agent too, because everyone Mm -hmm. sees people that look different. And then eventually we start to not look different because we're just people, you know, and that's, that's the idealistic, you know altruistic side of me you know
0: no as always much appreciated I mean you, you mentioned in the book I think it was Mark said he he didn't think he would want to commit to a future movie or tv projects um but it sounded like that sentiment wasn't necessarily shared by the whole troop so I'm just wondering if you have any word of any of them wanting to do this uh with or without him maybe they could do like a Spice Girls Sans Victoria kind of situation <laughs> or
1: <laughs> so they're where that's at is, if you've been reading the book, one of the things that it's always Bruce, it's always when Bruce, <laughs> when Bruce commits to whipping the other guys, he's the party whip, you know, like in politics. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when Bruce believes that it's a strong venture, Bruce will make sure the other guys uh, answer their phones, but they have these email chains uh, where okay. they're they, they, within each other. So they'll, they'll say, should we tour? Uh, when do you <laughs> want to do a tour? You know, and then of course, they're all <laughs> still trying to promote their separate gigs, and Mark, right now, is the one who's got the, the you know, sometimes it's Dave, sometimes it's uh, Bruce. And they have gigs that keep them from working with the others. You know, our Scott mm-hmm. also has a bunch of things that he's doing all the time. So they, they try to pick a window. That, I'm not sure if they have a, a representative right now who's like, they, like, for years they had David Handel, uh, not David Handelman, uh, they had their, their guy, their lawyer was, uh, was their guy. I know this guy and I forgot his name. (laughs) So many Davids. There's too many Daves I know. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, um, you know who I mean. He's the guy who helped organize the 2000 tours. And and so sometimes they, you know, they'll have their individual representatives do it or Susan Cavan who produces uh, Bruce's projects, And they need somebody to do that. Like, so they need a a point person. Usually it's Bruce. And uh, having said that, they all seem to have the will and the, uh, the desire to reunite for either a tour or something. I personally would love them to do Netflix or something mm-hmm. similar. Yes. Uh, and Bob Odenkirk said that in the book too, because they did it, uh, Bob Odenkirk did the Mr. Show Limited re- reunion series.
2: Yeah, yeah. And
1: I think he was right in that, maybe, maybe Odenkirk should direct it. Um, he was saying that the kids should do something, for instance, and I think he said like five hockey coaches Uh, a a short series about five hockey coaches. He wasn't even talking about a sketch series. He was saying, just do like a Death Comes to Town, like just do another short series where you're playing a bunch of characters in a small town or whatever, or in a big town. And I think that would be cool, but I also think they could just do a sketch anthology show and it would be great too. The question is like, and I think when they do that, they're also going to whip it into shape and not be nostalgic. Because one of the things that they always do for their tours is write new material. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really happy that they do that. Like they 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 will do classics. They'll do salty ham. They'll do Chicken Lady. But but for the TV series, they'd have to generate all new material because it'd have yeah. to be new. Yeah. And that would be great. And I would think they would do good. And of course, as they get older, they need to do stuff that reflects who they are as as grown men with children. So I think that the the hockey coach thing is a great idea. That that's Odenkirk's idea, not theirs. But you know, something like that would be great. Like, or, you know, <laughs> five old soldiers talking about something. I don't know. Yeah. And I think whatever they do, it could be like that. And, um, I and I personally think they should do it sooner than later because, you know, we're not yeah. getting any younger.
4: Okay. I'm going to just jump in here then, Paul, because you, you mentioned something that uh, has been a, a nagging question of ours for a while. And it it just occurred to me that you may have the answer to it. So, um, when you were mentioning uh, the Baroness von sketch show being kind of a spiritual successor, it got me thinking about um, women in Kids in the Hall episodes. So so typically, uh, you know, they would just play drag characters whenever they needed a, a woman to be in a sketch. But we've noticed, you know, throughout the seasons that that every so often they'll have uh actual women come in and and play characters laura is the the kind of main recurring character but they they also kind of uh have women actors in in some other sketches kind of in one-off roles and stuff do you have any idea kind of what was going on behind the scenes in in deciding whether they were going to have an actual woman come in and play the role versus having one of the kids do it in drag
1: well to generalize because i think they're all different situations uh I think generally, if, this, if the character was a pivotal character with a lot of comedy business, um, they were always sort of writing for themselves to be the, the funny people in the scene. Like so, they they didn't really, you know. It's, and the same goes for their male secondary characters. They they would always they'd always take the main character and they might have somebody be the, the butler or something like uh, Luciano Casimiri might be in the sketch here and there. So I know Diane Flax talks about being, I think she was the girlfriend in, um, um, uh, King of Empty Promises, I think, you know, the oh, yeah. Mind, okay. you know? Yeah. I think, I think Diane Flax, who was also one of the writers, uh, later season of the kids in the hall. So, so she, she talks about how, they, they just wanted someone to just be basically the girl at the table. So they, yeah. they, and it wasn't an insult to Diane as much as they just, it wasn't, they wanted to do the main parts themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and, but in the movie brain candy, um, um, a friend of ours, uh, J- Jackie Harris, who now goes by Jackie Harris, Greenberg, she plays, um, the, one of the executives at the chemical company that makes the, you know, the pill. Yeah, and uh, she actually gets a hell of a lot of lines in the movie, and it was actually uh, it's noticeable because, yeah. like, that would have been a character that one of the, the kids would have played, mm-hmm. but um, they actually let a female play a female character, which is so <laughs> amazing, brilliant. So brilliant. <laughs> amazing man. <laughs> no, but uh, and Jackie being um, a beloved uh, sketch comedian, uh, they 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 were happy to have her on set. So that was good. And she was, by then had been, you know, from the club days, like she'd been around with them for so long that she was practically one of the guys too. So yeah. I don't think they would go out of their way to cast, uh, you know, female leads. Um, so that's kind of the reason I don't think there was, I don't know. Yeah. I think it was just cause well, they wanted I mean, to be it, the, it makes they wanted sense to show off their comedy chops of their own guys, you know? Yeah.
3: <laughs> so uh i just had one follow-up to um there's a lot of great anecdotes in this book and and then you know they're not all funny like for instance uh the story about dave Foley uh, having a writer in his contract for brain candy where he he couldn't talk about his emotions uh with kevin 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 couldn't discuss his emotions broke all of our hearts um are there any anecdotes that just kind of you liked but just didn't fit in the story that you'd like to share with us
1: Well, I think there was a lot more. There's a lot more about Bellini's uh, film school days with Scott. Like that's the kind of stuff where there was just a lot more stories about. You know, uh, I tried to condense them. So there's there's some paragraphs which are just like one sentence from each six sentences. You know, (laughs) just trying to condense because there was definitely a feeling that you know if you were to if you were to follow through on every one of their solo journeys, you would have. a book that's much longer and maybe harder to read you know so sometimes what you do is you you have to sort of sacrifice the blind alleys to sort of stay on the highway and it's it's um at the end of the day you know you might think you wanted that bonus content but the truth is it's just like you know it's, it's for interviews and for things like that so in terms of stories like there's definitely some stories from the film school days and um, Let's hear some Bellini stories. Yeah, well, just just that Bellini going on the uh, the contest winners' trips. You know, where they would fly, they would fly Paul Bellini in a towel out to some outpost in the Maritimes to meet a contest winner, so he could poke him with a stick. Like, well, God, you know, that's real.
0: That's so amazing. And, I thought that. Was pa- yeah,
1: no, and Paul telling the story of like how he had body issues, and you know, oh. and and he didn't, he didn't. Just the idea that he would go along with this for the sake of Scott and the truth, you know, and you know, and 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 how it kind of taught him a little lesson about confronting his own fears, and oh. like, there's a whole Belini oh. book I could do. I mean, it's like, and and Paul was so generous with his time, and like I said, he has this huge archive, unfortunately not indexed. Uh, like he at one point sent me screen caps of. Uh, I wish there was more photographs because we had mm-hmm. a lot of photographs that were not of good quality. Like they didn't end up blowing up nice uh, yeah. in a book. And we tried to make the photographs all be good. And the other thing is, this is just unfortunate business stuff, but I, I was responsible for paying for the photographs. So there were times when we mm. we had like a really great photographer had taken a really great photograph and it, cost, it would have cost me $500 that I don't have. And you can't ask people to do mm. stuff for free. And there was a couple of people who did do stuff for free. Like several photographers gave me either a discount, like an incredible discount, like, you know, five photographs for $200. Uh, some people donated their photographs just because they were happy to be in the book. Uh, and, you know, so there's an early photograph of the kids in the hall where uh, Kevin, it's a black and white picture. Kevin has a, uh, what could only be called an Afro. And uh, he, uh, that picture was a really good uh, photographer who um, I can't pronounce his name right now, but you look it up. Uh, he anyway, that guy. I contacted him finally, and I said, "Oh man, I, I don't can offer you much, but what do you want?" And he said, oh, just use it." And I'm like, those guys are my heroes. And Broadway Video, who owns all the images from the TV series. Um, Wanted a lot more money, and I eventually just sort of charmed them. Like I basically said, "Can I have it cheaper than that?" And they were like, <laughs> "Okay."
2: <laughs> you know,
1: Lauren will kill me, but okay. But okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, but that's the. By the way, any documentary you've ever seen, film about the Beatles, be uh, uh, be kind to them if they only used one Beatles song, because the uh, uh, that's what kills most documentaries is trying oh, to clear the, the music. Yeah. So I learned that about photo rights too. So. There you go. But anyway, so that's the kind of regrets I have about things that were left off. It's like, Mm. you know, there's way more photographs of ticket stubs of concerts that uh, just didn't sit well with all the other stuff. And we had some great uh, behind the scenes Polaroids that um, we started we started limiting the page count. So uh, it was going to be like 32 pages of photographs. And then when it got down to 16, you had to sort of come up with you know, I wanted a picture from the death comes to town rather than more Polaroids. So we had to cut the Polaroids. So, Mm. you know, maybe someday there'll be a scrapbook.
0: Um, one thing as Trevor mentioned in passing that yeah, killed us was the whole Kevin, Dave Foley falling out. Uh, We were literally crushed. Um, we, we heard more of that, um, episode from Kevin. What did you not include it? Or what did you hear Dave say about that tragic moment in their lives?
1: <laughs> oh, well, part of the reason is uh, a lot of times when people tell the story, if the story matches, uh, I, don't re- I don't make the other guy repeat the same thing. You, 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 you lose your readers by repeating stories too many times. Like it, so it has impact once. So it, unless there was a contradictory argument, I probably wouldn't have put anything that anyone else said if it was exactly the same. So in the case of Dave, yeah, Dave, um, Dave was pretty adamant. I think he's in there, uh, but Dave was pretty adamant that, you know, at the time he was, he was with his family in Los Angeles when they broke, when, the, when him and Dave had a uh, Kevin had a falling out. So he was with his family in Los Angeles. His career was taking off. He really had some options he wanted to explore and Kevin didn't see it that way. And there was a little bit of jealousy that, you know, Dave can't speak to. So, and I don't think Kevin was even on top of in owning it. Mm. So there's nothing that Dave said that would contradict anything that Kevin said Mm. about the falling out. I mean, yeah, there's like one or two things that Dave might've said that I knew he was just being flippant. So I didn't want to cause any more trouble. Like, like, you know, he would have said, well, Kevin, blah, blah, blah. And uh, and it was like, it was more like, do you really mean that? And he'd be like, I don't know. Like, and I thought, "Well, there's no sense putting that in print for all time, you know? So, and this is, these guys are friends and brothers who've been working together for over 30 years. So, so there's, there's things that people say, especially to me because they're relaxed around me that I kind of knew to sort of say, well, you don't need to say that here. You know, like you, like
0: no. We were just curious because obviously, you know, it it comes across perhaps because we were we we're just personally so sentimental towards Kevin, our sweet little know, boy, and wanted to protect his heart.
5: Yeah, oh, well, you said you came so close to saying when Dave and Kevin
1: broke up.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but I, I heard I you start that one.
1: <laughs> Well, they did break up. There was Kevin, yeah. Kevin and Dave were the kids in the hall with Luciana Casimirian and, and uh, Scott, uh, <laughs> I'm forgetting his last name, the guy we all knew as Scott. And there's a guy <laughs> named Scott, and and Scott dropped out. Uh, and then, so I'm not talking about Scott Thompson, there's another guy named Scott. And then, uh, so those three, Luch and and Kevin and Dave, were you know the main kids in the hall. Then they met the guys from the audience, and so Mark and Bruce were a nation of two as well. Like Mark and Bruce had a very yeah. internal chemistry. And so Scott Thompson was the swing vote who came in who was kind of only – he wasn't really on anyone's specifically side. And so if they were making group decisions, Scott could often sway the the, the vote because like a swing state, you know, and uh, uh, yeah, and all of that state, implies. Scott.
4: The Anthony Kennedy of the kids in the hall.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did do a big sigh. Thank God they didn't have a Brett Kavanaugh. But anyway, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. ugh. ugh. But anyway, uh, so, and by the way, uh, get well soon, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This lady can back. break three ribs and still come back to work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. But anyway, um, <laughs> I digress, but yeah, so Kevin, Kevin and Dave, the breakup was pretty intense and like the cold war was real. Like it was within like, you know, when they were on the set of brain candy and they were, you know, and there was all those rules about how, you know, Dave is not to be addressed by Kevin this way, and you know, and you know, and then there's this backdrop of all these people dying around them, you know, like yeah. Scott's brother, and and then Kevin's brother-in-law, and you know, and then their marriages are breaking up, and it, 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 it's a miracle. By the way, I just watched Brain Candy with Dave in San Francisco <laughs> at some event we were at, and Stop we weren't going to watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> What's that?
4: I said, like stop is... bragging.
1: <laughs> no, 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 but it was... I was I'm, saying, just so what, I'm just so jealous. Okay, okay, okay. But what I meant was we did this event for the book where we were going to take, you know, just talk about the kids in the hall, just me and Dave, but they were showing brain candy at this movie theater, like the Alamo Draft House. So it's a really nice place to see. Uh, you know, you can actually eat food. It's a really, it was a really great uh, thing. We had a, a few too. books. And... Oh, <laughs> yeah, so the thing is, we were going to, we were going to just, like stay backstage and let the audience watch the movie and then come out. But for some reason, uh, my wife hadn't seen it in a long time. So I said like, well, I've, we got seats at the back of the theater if you want. So Dave said, okay, he has nothing to do. He was just up alone. for the. he came up from LA just for this. So we're just hanging out and we ended up sitting beside each other, whispering all the way through the film, like uh, <laughs> kind of like commentary track, you know? Yeah. And we were both amazed at how good the film was because we both had remembered it being kind of uh, spotty, you know, because there were definitely definitely parts that weren't that great, but the parts that I didn't like in the old days I kind of like now, and just to get to the point though, Dave's performance, like he was under duress when he made that film, he was forced <laughs> to make that film but Dave's performance does not show any of that mm. Dave is so, as good as Dave could be, and everyone else is so good with Dave, yeah. and it really reminds me of, again the Beatles, because I'm listening to the White Album reissue that just came out, and And I know that Paul and John had split up a little bit with each other and they were still working together, but, you know, maybe through gritting teeth at times. But you'd never know when you listen to the record. They they sound like they're having fun. They sound like they're playing well. They all want to be good at being the Beatles, you know, and the kids in the hall always want to be good at being the kids in the hall. So so that that was really heartening to see that even under duress, Dave and the troupe got along in, in their work.
5: I love that you draw the analogy towards the White Album specifically. I'm a bit of a, a incorrigible Beatles nerd too. But right uh, that's, that's such a good pick because that's when they're all start, all the Beatles are starting to have this uh, tension in the group and want to do their own things and start like mm-hmm. being more experimental. They release this ridiculously long, sprawling double album with things like the continuing ballad of Buffalo Bill on it for no reason. But yeah. you're right; it has this continuity, and I think, yeah, you see a lot of that in the scale.
1: Yeah, no, it's definitely, and I think that's the thing that uh, the over-overriding thing that I learned mm-hmm. from this book is that they are what I call hard-fought or hard-won brothers. Like, they're mm-hmm. it's a hard-won brotherhood. Like, and they—they they are now family through all these trials by fire and self-destruction. They are—they are still they're still kind of each other's biggest fans and i, I and dave it's dave himself who says that when i'm on stage with those guys mm-hmm. um there's no four funnier people in the world that i would rather be playing with you know like mm-hmm. and 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 that to me is just amazing because you would think that dave would have been the one that after all that never got back to the groove. but like yeah. dave is as dave is as much a supporter of the kids in the hall as any one of them that makes me so and, happy No, it makes me happy, too. I mean, that's why it bodes well that they'll do another. (laughs) I think they'll definitely do a live tour no matter what. And I hope it's this year because it's their 30th anniversary of their, uh, you know.
3: That would be awesome. If I could jump in, by the way, thank you for uh, including that anecdote about the version of Brain Candy that Dave wrote, Uh, the one where it was going to be a scientist in a small town where he's being thwarted, because as much as Brain Candy did turn out to be like a a good cult hit, I
1: I also just wish that I could see that movie, too. Me, too. I actually brought that up on stage uh, to brag again when I was (laughs) me and Dave were together uh, but I said, I said, like, tell them about this other film because, uh, yeah, I and mean, if you if you read the book, you'll know. But it's just, yeah, where it's the same idea, only it's a test town. And the test town finds out that the side effect of this happy drug is that one in 10 becomes a mass murderer. But everyone says, you know what? We like the odds of that. So, like, so, so, and then the, but the scientist, again, the scientist has the, the moral obligation to get out of the town and tell the, the people. But then the town says, no, you don't, because you'll take away our happy drug. Yeah, and yeah. if there's ever a metaphor for uh, Americans and their addiction to guns, <laughs> uh, like guns uh, make me safe. Guns make me safe, right? You know they,
5: one in ten of
3: us, but yeah, we yeah, like exactly.
1: Them. there's There's a mass murder every single day now in America. and still, some people say, yeah, but, we needed more guns then.
3: Yes, I I feel like that might have been their uh, Monty Python in search of the Holy Grail to the what brain candy was is maybe more of a uh, meaning of life kind of cult hit.
1: Yeah, and and I think also meaning of life. The reason the meaning of life. Mm-hmm. To, to be, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great dark jokes in meaning and a lot of great sketches in meaning of life. But the same idea, which is, it, as Python films go, you've got Life of Brian and. Uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, but The Meaning of Life is the one that just didn't have as much of an actual through Mm -hmm. line as a story Mm -hmm. and became a series of loosely connected stories about morbid themes, which is what Brain Candy Mm -hmm. is, a series of loosely connected sketches about morbid themes. You know, the macabre mirth makers, I think was (laughs) the term that they they self-describe at the beginning of their career.
0: So, I mean... The real question now is, uh, are you able to get one of the kids on the show? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, that's the reason you got me, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: no, I, I just want Bellini on here,
1: actually. I can yeah. get you Shlo- Shlomo, Shlomo, the lesser known kid who they don't talk about. He's a...
0: Will he come watch awesome. Brain Candy with us?
1: <laughs> I, think, I think it would be really cool to have like uh, like J- Jackie Harris Greenberg, like for after go. what it's like to be the only, <laughs> only woman with speaking parts. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Uh, but also, also um, I would love to track down, and this is John Blanchard, who directed uh, most of the series after the first season. He worked on Mad TV, and he's like, uh, he worked on SCTV. He um, didn't want to do interviews. He just said, <laughs> I don't like to talk about myself. And I said, Well, you're talking about them. And he goes, Yeah, I just don't like to talk about my work. And I said, <laughs> uh, Like, I like uh, he emailed me, and he said, Like, yeah, I, I saw your request. I, I'm not. You know, and and Brian Connolly also was like the mm-hmm. shadowy man from the shadowy planet. Yeah. Great guy. We're friends. I know him from the Toronto music scene. <laughs> yeah. I saw him play in San Francisco two years ago and he came up to me, he gave me a big bear hug. He's a really like he's my friend. And I said to him, as he's smiling at me. And I said, hey, so will you do the book? Will you be in the book? He goes, no, no. <laughs> and he's smiling the whole time. And yeah. I was like, why not? And he goes, I don't like to talk about things. <laughs> and I said, well, is there something horrible that you don't want to talk about? He goes, no, just don't yeah. want to talk. And, like, and basically, dare, I dare you to get mad at me, and I can't. So what are you yeah, going to do? Yeah. So Don Pyle of the shadowy <laughs> man ends up t- telling the whole story because Reed Diamond passed away. He can't – the other oh, yeah. shadowy man. It was uh, just a footnote on that. I was in Calgary. More name-dropping. I was yes. in Calgary and uh, uh, Dallas – not a name drop. <laughs> no, I was just—I was—it was kind of a joke. Although I will say that having been to Calgary, the people there were so nice to me, and it was a, the town has changed quite a lot, and I liked it a lot. Uh, but um, but I did this event, and uh, uh, in the audience, Reed Diamond's sister, Dallas Diamond, uh, came up to me afterwards and introduced herself, and uh, she's so lovely, and she just was so nice, and uh, I got my picture taken with her, and hmm. it was just nice to have. Uh, I told some stories about what Dawn had told me about, you know, the shadowy men. And she, she said that we got it right, which is nice. I mean, I, I feel to me, that's the other thing. It's like when, especially when someone's deceased family member tells you that and, or the mem- yeah, yeah. the family member of the deceased person, I mean, um, and, and, and just to know that uh, I honored Reed's memory. Cause he, there's like two pictures of him in the book too. So that's nice. Uh, so yeah. And there's a whole Calgary story there that was important, you know? So
5: on a slightly lighter note, I love your Kevin McDonald impression. That was okay. Okay. Was all, on
2: count of my <laughs> <laughs> on my head. Count my head. Count my head.
1: Yeah. Um, Kevin and I communicate so. Uh, he's so loving in his conversations. Well, no, but just he'll say to me like he'll say stuff like uh, first I just want to say uh, I really love you and thank you very much for doing this. It's uh, it's it's, re- it's really great that you're writing about our our troop and it's like you know. So we miss you. We miss you. We'd like to see you again, like uh, on the phone, you know, like yeah. and like, like, and it's just like, I, like he's like he's totally, uh, like, he, like he's like the opposite of macho, and I love that, yeah. you
2: know. oh
0: Kevin. Kevin. You're Really
1: feeling. I guess you should try and get Kevin on this show, right?
5: Boy, I'm, I used to be from Winnipeg, so I was actually curious where whereabouts he's he's living. And
1: I don't know exactly in Winnipeg where he lives. Hmm. I tried to set up something there because I just did this thing where I did this, a few cities in Canada, and I was. We needed him to be in Winnipeg like the night before my Calgary show so that I could do like, you know, like so you wouldn't have to be spending too many nights and like because hotels cost. So we're trying to do Toronto to Winnipeg, Winnipeg to Calgary, Calgary to Vancouver. And uh, and then uh, he he teaches improv. Uh, He does these seminars. Uh, That's kind of a neat thing that he does, actually. And he's really gifted at it. So students are lucky to get Kevin McDonald. And so Kevin is going on the road all the time, like, so in weird places, like, I mean, weird in the sense that like one weekend he'll be in Sacramento, California, where I interviewed him for the book. And the next weekend he'll be in Indiana, Indiana, like, like he's not, (laughs) they're not like in sequential lines. Like, so he'll go to Winnipeg, he'll be in Winnipeg up until like the Thursday. And then on Friday he'll be in Florida. And then then he's back in Winnipeg and then he's in L.A. Like it's not like he goes from Florida to L.A. He goes home and then back. And it's because the way it works out. (laughs) So having said that, you should get him on to talk about improv and talk about the history of comedy and talk about Gene Wilder. Those are the things that Kevin will. will, Oh, he I would say Kevin is a huge Gene Wilder fan.
4: Of course Uh, he is. That makes so (laughs) much sense now, knowing, you know, knowing his comedy style that he would have picked up so much of that from Gene Wilder. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) He's so physical.
1: Well, Chris Cooper in the Brain Candy, he said he was trying to sort of become kind of a Gene Wilder scientist, like, you know, uh, maybe like Young Frankenstein or something. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he learned a lot from that. He, he learned a lot from uh, Gene Wilder. Also
5: a rock and roll connection there because Aeros- uh, um, Young Frankenstein was the movie that inspired Aerosmith to write walk this way. It's just always coming back to these circles. Oh, wow. That's good. Steve
3: Tyler's a huge comedy fan.
4: We are a very much a red string on the on a corkboard kind of podcast.
3: It's all about the connections, man. They both killed <laughs> the essay. I don't know why these fools
1: haven't seen it yet. You just have to look with the right kind of eyes. You and I understand, friend.
5: <laughs> do you want to ask us any questions, Paul?
0: <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, I do. I do. So how come you're all in different towns and how did you guys start this podcast?
0: Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll take the first version. So um, we, most of us have a connection to the University of British Columbia student paper, the UBC. So Trevor and I worked there, Hans was around, and Stu is engaged to who used to be our copy editor at the time in university. So we're all like in a group of friends that still get together uh, a couple times a year. Um, and uh, as I think we mentioned in our our first episode. um, You know, hilariously, I think it was for (laughs) that summer, we were all um, getting together on Pender Island off the coast of Vancouver. And it was either Trevor (laughs) or one of our friends who I was like, oh my God, you look like Bellini. Because he was just wearing a towel.
4: It was me actually... It was it was you and it was you and I commenting on our mutual friend Justin dressed in a towel saying that he looked like Paul Bellini. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I could be like, oh, my God, Paul Bellini. And then I was like, oh, my God, kids in the hall. And I kind of knew that Trevor. Well, I knew before that Trevor had had like kids in the hall. And then all of a sudden we found out Hans liked them, too. And then Stu said, oh, me, too. And we all just gathered on like a small two person couch and just started watching our favorite episodes. Now- um, uh, and, and
3: I should I should like let you know that Kalina is working very hard to make sure that everyone in the little town of London is aware of the kids in the hall. <laughs> oh, okay. And she has like a package of her favorite sketches and she forces people to watch them <laughs> if they come over to her house. Yes,
0: it's true. It's it's my it's my kids in the hall starter pack. Um, <laughs> and it includes a list to yeah a, um, a bunch of. YouTube clips, and I just keep circulating this, which is why we originally were like, oh, let's rank all of the Kids in the Hall sketches, and we're like, that's a dumb idea. Let's have a podcast. No, that's cool.
1: And Kids in the Hall, by the way, I I hear from a lot of English people that Kids in the Hall were on Channel 4. Years ago, oh, so they they definitely have a presence.
4: We've been trying to figure out how to how to push people that aren't in Canada towards the show. It's great that CBC has all of their old episodes on, like their back catalog on, uh, but haven't found haven't found a good source yet.
1: So you know that uh, NBC Universal launched a web portal uh, called CISO, and it went out of business. Uh, but they oh. they <laughs> they had launched the Kids in the Hall as part of that. Like they had put all the Kids in the Hall episodes. I joined CISO just because it was around the time I was writing the book and I thought, how cool to have all the sketches on demand, like I could find them if I need them. But that channel was great because they also had Python, uh, all the Monty Python series, and they also had like obscure British comedy shows. It was a really good idea that just didn't have the promotional thing together and it was Mm -hmm. subscription only, so you couldn't do it for free. yeah. Um but so but I actually feel like maybe oh. Broadway Video should now that they now that that's gone, they should they should at least make them available to Netflix. Actually
4: if you could get if you could put us in touch with Lauren Michaels, we have some real, you know, questions that we gotta ask him about these digital distribution rights.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm talking to these kids who have a podcast and they um they have an idea. Nobody's yeah, ever said Yeah, this to just
2: me. get yeah, just yeah, get yeah. Lauren on the line. That's a very good one. Wow. <laughs> Lauren Michaels. Yeah. Wow.
1: yeah. I'd say my my nightclub act I do all I do them all. I do, I do Lorne Lauren Michaels, I do uh, Kevin McDonald and I do uh, Paul McCartney.
3: The big three, they call them.
1: Great, great. Kids of the whole great. Great, Love it. dude. Love it. <laughs> yeah.
4: Impersonations. I hear they're making a comeback.
1: Yeah, that's how you make it in show business. You you guys must be bored of me right now because it's been two hours. You realize that?
0: We're definitely not bored. We're just like in, basking in your glory. Don't
1: worry. We're we're just thankful that you're willing to chat with us for this long. Mm. I've been vacuuming this whole time. (laughs) I have one of the new, the new silent vacuum stuff.
3: Thank you very much, Paul, for taking the time to talk to us about your new book, Kids in the Hall, One Dumb Guy, which is in stores now and everyone listening to this should buy it. Please send our regards to the kids and apply subtle but constant pressure to get them onto our show.
5: Thank you for your time, Paul. Thanks, Paul. This is Paul Meyer's lawyer. Uh, he left. He left. <laughs> oh, good. Good. <laughs> Thank you. It was fun. It was,
3: bye. Bye. Bye.
5: Thank you. See you. Thanks, Paul.